Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello everyone, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and this is... John Pigeon. Now, John, we are coming to Brisbane on the 27th of May. It's the first show of the national tour. I'm pumped. I loved Brisbane last time. Remember how we had all those people and I had the open bar and it cost me like $1,200 extra? (laughs) Still paying it off. Yeah, that's right. So, hey, Brisbane, if you are keen to come out and meet us, 27th of May... It's at Lightspace. We're so pumped to come and see you. Uh, There's a heap of tickets still available. There's a heap of tickets sold. And we're just really pumped to see you out for the first show of our national tour. Absolutely. Yeah. Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. John, I get a few emails about people wanting to buy an investment property or buy a first home. And they're just not sure what way to go. And they want to speak to a financial advisor. And I tell them, hey... If you go to an advisor, they're just going to send you back to someone like John. So you can either talk to John and get a clarity call like you've heard uh, on the podcast or you can do John's online academy, uh, which might be a lower entry price and a bit of a self-paced learning. John, what's your online academy about? Yeah, so it's for all levels. Uh, I think for a lot of the listeners, you may be starting to dip your toe into property or definitely the the knowledge around what to do with property. So whether it's buying your own home or looking at an investment property, uh, we we talk about the basics in the early modules and then we expand on that to then talk real in-depth strategies. So what we want in our portfolio, looking at a long-term plan, uh, knowing that there's an eight-point strategy to Uh, every property purchase that we make. So getting those eight points right, uh, looking at property cycles, how to go and purchase, how to go and negotiate, uh, how to buy your own home to live in and when are we going to include that in our lives. Um, So yeah, the basics of cash flow management and goal setting and insurances and and, uh, all of that to begin with, but then really delving deep into, into property and all facets that come with it. Yeah, love it. So if you do want to really get I don't know, your thoughts out of your head when it just comes to property strategy and what you should be doing, uh, you can check out the Solvair Property Academy. There's a link in the show notes. All right, John, let's do a case study. Are you ready to have a bit of a dig in this garden? Let's dig. All right, Michael has sent us a message. Hey guys, really enjoy the show. Have picked up a lot of tips. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Michael. Go on, yeah, Michael. I've got a question that would be awesome if you guys answered either direct or on the show. Well, we'll do it on the show. How about that? I'm 22, first year of full-time uni, working casual, you know, about $300 a week and getting youth allowance, $400 a fortnight to help me get by. 
there is a $200,000 inheritance sitting in an estate that will likely be paid to me around this time next year. I'm worried my Centrelink payments would likely stop completely and I don't want to dip into this money to live off. I want to invest in shares, a small amount in crypto, and then save enough of it for a future house deposit. So my two options seem to be, number one, switch to a part-time uni, pick up extra work, but that would be another five or six years that I'll be studying rather than two more years. Number two, continue full-time uni, live poor, and try and get rid of the temptation to dip into the 200K. Long-term money goal is to achieve 1 million net worth by the time I'm 30. Sorry if loads of detail and thanks in advance for any advice. Now, number one, we can't give you personal financial advice. So we don't know who you are and what you do. So we're going to just talk conceptually. And number two, everyone, if you do have a case study like this, I've been really loving doing the case studies. Have you, John? I love them. Yeah, they're real. We can't make them up. So you can send your little case study, keep it brief like Michael has, uh, and you can send that to questions at myatmillennial.money. So, John, what are your initial thoughts on this? Because I've certainly got one or three thoughts. I'm sure you have. Yeah, the first one is whatever degree you're studying is going to be outdated by the time you finish. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know mine was. No, no, that's not true, Michael. I think when we're looking at those two scenarios, I would rule out number one, switch to part-time uni, pick up extra work. I just think you're there to do a degree, complete that. So we want to complete that in as quick a time frame as possible and 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 get out there in the in the real world and, and earn some dollars. Um, so that leaves us with option two of continuing full-time uni. I think that's your, your number one priority. Now, the live poor, I think we just need to reframe that and say, well, we want to live um, we want to get by at university without having the feeling of, of living poor. So you said that you're working casually, you're earning some money, hopefully that's going to continue. Now, I, I don't know enough around the Centrelink rules and regulations to, to give comment on that uh, specifically, but what I would say is that the, the 200K, uh, it's, it's a bonus in your life. So you want to get that working for you uh, sooner rather than later. And if that's at the detriment of your Centrelink income, then then so be it, it is my thoughts. If I was in this position back at university, uh, I would just get that and, and, and have it start working for us, provided that you know what you're doing in that space or definitely talk to someone who does know what they're doing in, in relation to crypto or shares or whatever it may be. Without earning uh, solid dollars, you're probably not going to be able to get yourself into property at this stage. So my thoughts would be to maybe uh, keep some aside for that property deposit once you gain full-time employment. Yeah, so that, that's my two cents worth. Glenn, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I, there's a couple of comments I want to make. And, you know, a lot of you out there are starting to get these inheritances. Now, they could be from grandparents, they could be from aunts, they could be from uncles. I just want to point out that we're about to see in Australia over the next 10, 15 years, a huge transfer of wealth. Uh, we've got all these, you know, quote unquote, old boomers that are owning property or, or whatever. And as people sell, as people downsize, 
the money is going to start flowing. Now, an inheritance doesn't always mean someone's died, uh, but I'm seeing more and more people under 30 uh, start to receive big chunks of cash. So, that's just an observation that I keep seeing this inheritance thing come up. The second thing is, uh, Michael, I'm really pumped that you are thinking about this. I am pumped that it is a year away and you're intentional. You want to be an investor. You have got your head screwed on. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed that you haven't picked out a car that you're going to buy um, or something. But you know what I mean, John? Like it's... It's good yep. that he's thinking, I want to keep this. I don't want to blow it on stuff. Um, and that was a joke, everyone, about, you know, spending the inheritance on a depreciating <laughs> toy. But also not really. Like if you wanted to buy yourself a nice 10 or 20 grand car, knock yourself out. Yeah, carve your 10% off. Yeah, whatever. So I think looking at the question, and I love reading between the lines, I think Michael switched on and he's, uh, he's going to do well whatever he finds uh, himself doing. Now, I'm kind of like you, John. I don't think that we are delaying university uh, five years down the, the road just to try and pick up extra work. I think we need to get in, get our uni done, get it finished, get qualified and get onto a good income. Because while it seems like it's a big trade-off, if we step back and say, okay, so you're on youth allowance and you're getting $400 a fortnight to help you get by you've said that you've got two more years of uni, that's $400 a fortnight. That's only $10,400 a year. So, what I'm saying is, I think you'll have more bang for buck in your life if you did have to carve off 10 grand a year from your inheritance. And remember, if you are choosing to invest this money and probably in about six months, eight months, reach out and we'll introduce you to an advisor who can actually sit down with you and help you maybe get a bit of a plan together, you won't be, you could actually, John, almost drip feed a couple of hundred dollars a week from your inheritance money. So, it's not as if you're pulling 20 grand out and having that money not invested for the full two years. So, there's Mm. plenty of options there, but I just think, Michael, you need to keep into uni, get stuck into it. If you do have to carve off your own $200 a week, Uh, and it means you're not getting Centrelink. And also just contact Centrelink, Michael, as soon as you know when the money will arrive because you have to contact them within 14 days of being notified that the money will be arriving um, or if you know the date that it will arrive. And you can chat to the FIS. I think it's Financial Information Service. John, I'm not a Centrelink expert like you. Um, I no, certainly not. So, <laughs> so, I think, yeah, do some research, chat with Centrelink. I, I was looking on their website and from what I can see, it might not be uh, deemed as income, uh, but what they would do is possibly deem it for the income test uh, as an asset. So, I think it's all good. Now, Hmm. you said you want to put a small amount in crypto. Uh, I probably wouldn't be putting more than 2 to 5% in crypto based on that. Uh, That's just my view. Uh, But certainly, over the next year, your whole job is to invest in knowledge and understanding and really look at your goals. And if in doubt, as soon as you get that inheritance, I'm not a fan of term deposits, John, but even if it's sat on a term deposit in your name for six months while you think about it, uh, that certainly would be of no harm. Mm. 
Yeah, it's a great long-term goal, by the way. A million dollars net worth by the time he is 30. So that's quite aggressive and that can be shaped in a, a number of uh, ways. But that he's basically saying that 200K, it's going to work five times the amount he's got to, to get that uh, in eight years' time, so it's a it's a nice goal to put out there, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess I'm I'm thinking as well, like you know, don't put off being qualified if you're in the position just to smash that out, because instead of working part time for five years and studying part time, which a lot of people do, and that's totally fine. In your situation, that's only come into consideration because of the inheritance. Now, I would say, Michael, you're only really thinking of this because the inheritance is there. If you weren't getting the inheritance, your plan would be to smash out uni and get on with your life. So, again, smashing out uni, get into the workforce and get that grad income of, you know, maybe 70, 80, 90, whatever your field is, and uh, that will actually compound more than delaying it, I believe, because... You know, I just wrote a chapter in this book that I'm writing, John, about mm. human capital and actually, you know, trading our time for money, but investing that money. Yeah. And then the time is never wasted because it's growing and growing. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if, if I think back to my uni life, uh, I, I think I, I used to get a part Centrelink payment. Um, and also worked part-time and and I would see, Michael, this 200K as an absolute bonus in your life. Um, Act as though it's not there once you've done something with it and just maximise that time at uni to get your study done but also create some uh, extra capital through part-time work to to survive. And if that means there's a hit in your settling payment, then then so be it. Yeah, it's kind of like this question and they are, you know, they are logical questions, but they're not behavioural questions. And we know with money, John, that sometimes behaviour can trump logic. So, logic would be, how do I keep getting this small amount of Centrelink, even if I have to delay my study? Logically, we can discuss that, but on a behaviour sense, let's forget logic, smash out uni, get to work, and we'll recoup that money later. And I, I will just finish on that. You are technically... With that $20,000 supplementing your university education, as long as you're not pissing it up the wall or snorting it into next Wednesday, you are, <laughs> you are actually investing that twenty grand into yourself and into your education. Yeah. And don't forget to enjoy uni. That were the best eight years of my life. Totally. So, Michael, if you are near a capital city around Australia, come to our live event. You certainly have got the money. Well, <laughs> you will. <laughs> Check you will in about 12 months, yeah. And um, condolences if it was a, uh, a close, close loved one um, that, estate, that an estate is settling. John, what's the question from Julia? Julia says, how to really get started with a side hustle slash business plan, finances, etc. So, look, Glenn, you started a side hustle. I come aboard this side hustle and it's still rolling today just so you're you're the man to speak about this side hustle story. Yeah, so I I sound like a broken record, but I believe we only need to look at a side hustle for maybe four reasons. Number one, you've got a short-term goal that you need to save up for and smash an attack. Number two, you've got some consumer debt now that you're on a plan, you want to get settled and all that stuff, and you want to do a short-term side hustle, smash that. Number three, 
it is, and I think this is more Julia's side hustle, you want to actually do something on the side and then move it into your full-time thing. Or number four, you actually just like taking photos of weddings or whatever once a month or whatever, and you just love it and you get a bit of money from it. The overarching thing with side hustles for me, John, is to not put that money into your general revenue. So, you're not just doing, you know, busting your guts after hours on the weekend to put food on your table because it means one of two things. You're not working enough from your day job, quote unquote, or two, uh, you might be living beyond your means. So, that's just a general housekeeping thing. But in terms of a side hustle, the business plan, it doesn't need to be big to start with. It could be, you know, it could be a one-page business proposal. I don't like the word business plan because I I have a heart attack when I think that I've got to write 18 pages with a SWOT analysis. But it could be, you know, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to serve. This is how much it will cost me to make the, I'm looking at a lampshade in my hotel room right now, a lampshade. This is how much in materials, this is how much of my time that I think I'm worth. This is basically the retail price. How am I going to sell my lampshades? Is it going to be uh, B2B? Am I going to do these lampshades and take it to boutique stores and say, hey, I can sell these lampshades for wholesale? Or is it going to be B2C? I'm going to go direct to the consumer. I'm going to do a website. I'm going to go to markets. I'm going to um, have an Instagram page. Whatever that strategy is, high level, what are you going to do with your side hustle to market? Because you need people to sell to. Finance, etc. cetera. Uh, I don't think you should ever get a loan for your side hustle. You need to cash flow that. And if you are in debt and you, know, you have a lot of consumer debt, I think you first need to clean that up to take any pressure off your life. I'm ranting, John, but I'll yeah, finish. I love, I love your rants. Yeah, but I'll finish with this. You need to make sure with your side hustle that there is a market for it and you actually aren't wasting all your time. So, I'll make something else up. What am I looking at here? Oh, I, I'll tell you in the after party, John, but there's a foam roller on the ground um, for physio stuff. Now, yes. are you planning on making pink foam rollers only and wanting to sell that where the market actually doesn't care about pink foam rollers. You think they're awesome. You love pink foam rollers, but if you can't sell any of them, is it a waste of your time? So, that's kind of my three cents with side hustles and where to get started. Number one, thoughts out onto a paper. Number two, um, how are you going to price your side hustle? Number three, it could be, how, are you going to be B2B, B2C? Number four, don't go into debt. Number five, make sure the market actually wants what you've got. Yep. Yeah, good. No, I like all that. Um, I think really like your tip around treat that money as totally separate and it's it's all a bonus when you start making money from the side hustle because that really quantifies what you're doing uh, after hours and they, they say pay the bills between nine to five and set up your future after that. So that's uh, that's a good um, analogy in that respect. And as you know, I, um, I run corporate workshops for these young athletes around Australia and a lot of them are 18 to 30. They'll do their 10 or 12 years of professional athlete um, work, but in the meantime, they'll be starting up these side hustles. Back in the day, it used to be called a part-time business. So I, I, I speak to them about, number one, I think the over, 
overarching um, key to, to a successful side hustle is actually to enjoy what you're doing and have a passion for that particular um, industry or thing. So if you love what you do, it's not really a hassle, just like you and podcasting, Glenn. Um, and, and having then uh, an, a niche for that particular industry you're in and making sure it's got the ability to make money. If you're importing it from China for $15 and you're selling it for 18 it's probably not going to make you too much. So having a niche, making sure it's it's got the ability to generate revenue because otherwise you start to become deflated pretty quick. But uh, it, it, you have to have some sort of love or passion for it, I believe, for it to be sustainable long term. Totally could not agree more. And for those who are thinking, what's all this stuff about side hustles? If you don't want to do one, you don't have to. And don't do one just because you think everyone else wants you to or any of that stuff. If you've got an income and you're happy with your job, awesome. Enjoy your spare time. Mm. That's what I would say. Absolutely. That's what you say. It's good. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. John, I'll let you answer this one from Dominique. A long-term goal of mine is to own three investment properties. What would be the steps that one should take to achieve this? Good question, Dominic. And I'll go back to my early 20s and it was always a, a, an aim for me to have X amount of properties. And I think that changed over time. So the, the first question I would ask Dominique is, why do we want three investment properties? What What's the outcome for that? What's three investment properties going to do for us? So understanding what you, you want out of life, is it, is it are the three investment properties going to give you choices and and extra revenue or what or is it just going to give you hassle so what's the financial ramifications around getting three investment properties is it a certain amount of dollars to be able to leverage off um so understanding why we're actually doing it in the first place um once we've got that the the goal of having three investment properties might actually change but uh, I like to reverse engineer it and say, well, we want to have three investment properties by 10 years. So when can I get into my first property? And if I can do that now, then what's my purchase price potentially of the second property? How much money do I need to save up? So that might mean that my second property comes in at year four. Uh, and then my third property might be a combination of my cash savings as well as potentially some equity out of property one. But understanding that worst case scenario, if there's no equity in that first property or the second property, that you're purely relying on your cash savings. So understanding the worst case scenarios and then mapping that out to keep you motivated through that 10-year period if that's your, that's your goal. So yeah, knowing why you're doing it is is number one. And then number two, financially seeing, well, what's actually possible in my life? If I'm saving 10 grand a year and I can only forecast saving 10 grand a year for the next five years, that's going to give me 50 grand. Is that enough to get into my next property? If I want to say three investment properties in the next three years, it's not going to be possible based on my current savings. So seeing what's realistic as well. 
you know, you, you see all these books where it's like, I bought a million properties in 10 minutes and all this stuff. Is it actually possible if I'm on an income, an average income, call it $70,000, which is the average income of all our listeners? Well, it's the median, actually. I think the average is 75, but thereabouts. Is it possible in this day and age to get three investment properties? So, in answer to your question, this book I'm holding up in front of me, can you mm. see it there in New Zealand? Yeah, zero to 260 properties in seven years. Was that McKnight Correct. or something like that? Yep, Steve McKnight. So, that, that book has been around for some time. I read it when I was 16 years old, I reckon. Yeah, so Steve's just older than me, I think. But, uh, oh, it no, might not have been that old. No, he's not that. He's much older. Um, any case, that, that book, the, the label of that book um, really caught people's attention. It's like, no, nah, this can't be true. I better read the book to find out. Now, whether there was 260 properties purchased or not is irrelevant. Um, I, I think it's understanding for, for the likes of Dominique, what do we want? And what is actually possible? Now, can we go and buy 10 properties in the next 10 years? Well, it depends on your situation. So I think that the answer to that is yes, provided we've got the cash flow and, and savings to be able to do that. Uh, now, that book was based around high cash flow properties. And back in the day when we could buy 70, $80,000 properties. So fast forward to now, Property prices are a lot more expensive than that. We can probably buy $100,000, $120,000 properties, but they are uh, extreme regional locations around the country. So uh, the, the landscape has definitely changed from when that book came out and will continue to change going forward. So that's why I said to, uh, for, for Dominic and everyone else that, that might be listening for a similar outcome is what is realistic for you? Yeah, and I would say like, I always see that stuff and it's like, just buy 10 properties outright and don't have any debt and don't be greedy and make sure you're a generous person. Like, it just seems excessive and dumb. But again, I'm that's not my vibe. Uh, I'd rather have less and own it and have a comfortable uh, quality of life and be a generous person than having this target to amass 200 and, you know, dickety five properties. Uh, at the expense of everything else. Yeah, there's a lot of upkeep with that amount of properties. I mean, I, I just think it, it goes back to exactly what you said. Like, what are you wanting to do? Like, is it there so you can invest for your future and, you know, only work a couple of days a week and have a really good quality of life? Yeah. Stephen says, I would like to know more about interest rate cuts and what this means for younger people like myself. Well, I'll jump in there, John. Uh, a couple of things. It means you'll get bugger all in your bank account if you want to save money uh, in terms of interest. So, we need to make sure that if you do have cash and you do want that to grow and you do not need to access it for maybe six, seven, eight years, it probably needs to go into an investment account. Be invested in the market. Send your money to work. If you are about to buy a home or a first home, you're going to have some really good mortgage rates at the moment. So, it doesn't really mean anything greater than that. Yes, it is a sign that the economy isn't doing well. So, central banks lower interest rates to get money flowing more. I think in Australia, 
it's caused consequences that have increased property prices ridiculously, which does impact younger people if they do want a first home. Like Emily Wallace, the co-host of your podcast, My Millennial Property, she went to a one-bedroom auction last week in Melbourne and the reserve was like 450000 and it sold for six hundred and ten. I mean, it's just getting out of control. So, I'd be cautioned with borrowing uh, that you're not overextending yourself just to not have FOMO. I would expect the only place that interest rates are going to go in the medium to long term is north. So, we just have to be wise. And yeah, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, John. No, I think the only thing I would add is the, the people that are disadvantaged by low interest rates at the moment are people that are not loaning money and are trying to put their money into things like term deposits, as you mentioned. So the interest rates or the return on that is extremely low. So that w- might be uh, your people that are closer to retirement or actually in retirement where they, they might have a, a lump sum of money, which would normally re- be returning them maybe four or five percent, um, just sitting in a in a in a bank account or in a, a term deposit. But uh, because of the low interest rates, aren't doing that. So, yeah, it's there's never been a better time to pay down um, bad debt, and there's never been a, a better time to pay down good debt because the interest rates are are, are extremely low. Uh, As you mentioned, they're going to head north at some stage. Uh, I don't think my prediction is not in the next two to three years in in, in any large form, but prepare yourself for the fact that they may increase at some stage uh, through your journey. I thought about you this week, John. Did you? Yeah, because I'm writing my book over here that will be released, uh, I think, around October November and uh, one of the sections on debt, I I said, you know, other money people out there will talk about good debt and bad debt. And (laughs) I like to think all debt's bad. Just one might be tax deductible and one might be against an appreciating asset. But anyway, we'll move on. Good debt creates wealth, Glenn. Well, is all debt good? It's so philosophical. Um, Maybe I've just listened to Dave Ramsey too much over the years. No worries, Dave. Last question for today superannuation, specifically when you start making additional contributions. Yeah, this has got your name written all over it. Oh, thanks, John. I I would look at when I'm not making additional superannuation contributions. If I want to save from a house deposit or an investment property outside of super, I'm probably not tying up money in super. So, I'll forego the, the tax effectiveness. I'll forego the tax shelter and the long-term growth because I've got some short long-term goals to build wealth outside of super, be it an investment property or buying my own house, because we need that deposit. I'm probably not investing in super and putting additional contributions in if I've got some short-term lifestyle goals, like I want to start a business or I want to save up 40 grand and then when COVID's over, I'm going to travel the world for two years out of the back of a suitcase and then I'll come back and then get on with it. And then I'm certainly not putting extra money into super if I've got any consumer debt. So to me, it speaks to John. I've met my financial goals in the short term. I'm debt free and I need to look at investing money for the long term. And is super part of that? Absolutely. I believe it is. I max out my super every year. And I was actually thinking today, John, in the car, 
driving to uh, if if anyone's been to Queenstown, it's Sherwood. It's a hotel and uh, restaurant, really beautiful. Most expensive oh, nice. one in Queenstown, I heard. Nah, nah, it's not. I'm staying in the most expensive one in Queenstown. Um, <laughs> joke, everyone. Back off. <laughs> nah, joke, everyone. So what I was thinking is a lot of the time when we think about money stuff, John, we think of it as an all or nothing. Either I do something or I don't. And for someone like uh, Bronwyn, she may have set up the Glen James spending plan and it says she's got $400 left per month. It's not, okay, what do I do with your $400? It could be, I'm just going to carve off $100 and salary sacrifice that to super. So, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. That probably hasn't answered her question, but that's certainly the direction I'd be taking with my mindset around uh, making additional contributions to super. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. So, if you surmise that, you'd say, well, okay, if you've got consumer debt, don't worry about making ex- extra contributions. Um, I, I've, I'm coming in from a property perspective, uh, coincidentally. I, w- I would say if you're going to buy your own home uh, in the next few years and you're saving hard to do that, then you might put off your additional contributions to, to getting into the market quicker. Um, and also uh, understanding uh, what you need in your personal asset file, I suppose, as well. So whether that's um, shares in your personal name or property in your, in, your, in your personal name. So understanding what makes up your financial wealth uh, across the board now and for the, and for the future. But ideally, you, you want to be doing all of it, don't you, Glenn? Totally, totally. All right, John, we'll leave it there. Thanks for having a chat today. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for everyone who is listening. If you do listen on Apple, uh, Apple have just upgraded the app and... On my iPhone today, it didn't appear, our new episode, but it did on someone else's. So, if we're not appearing on Apple, you may have to unsubscribe and resubscribe or refresh something in your app. It was just on the new iOS update. So, that's been a bit of a concern for a lot of podcasters out there. So, Mm. you can listen to us on Spotify, on Google, uh, Stitcher, CastBox, all the other apps. Uh, So, just... um, as a heads up there. And I just personally want to say thanks for listening and we hope to meet you face-to-face somewhere around Australia. I want to, can I finish off with a good news story? Please. I was in the middle of Timbuktu last week. For those that live in Victoria, just about near Tullybuck basically, presenting to a group of farmhands and and I did this 90-minute workshop on financial wellness and property and this uh, lady came up to me at the end of the workshop and she's probably mid-20s and she listens to the podcast and she said, wow, I didn't think I'd see you here in the middle of nowhere. And I said, look, it's a pleasure to be here. She said, oh, you asked a question through the workshop, what did you do with your first paycheck? And she paused and I paused and she said, I fed my family. Now, she was in her teens at that stage and clear to see that uh, there was not a lot of food on the table, clothes on the back, and she was basically living in poverty. Fast forward that, she was determined to get away from that style of living. 
she didn't want to, to live that life. Um, so she worked hard, continued to um, save her money, feed the family, etc. Age 21, she bought her first property. She's now mid-20s. The property is more or less doubled in value and she's, uh, she's living a fruitful life. So I just thought, what an amazing story. One, that she's listening to the podcast, but number two, uh, there's people out there that um, are, have brought, been brought up in a, a struggling environment and she's had the grit and determination to um, change that, change her story. So good. Well, thanks for uh, sharing that, John, and thanks for listening wherever you are. Uh, and we love hearing your stories and they inspire me, they inspire John, and they inspire everyone. So thank you so much. Mm. All right, John, until next week. Bye. Righto. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. You know when people come up to you, John, and they're like, oh, I listen to podcasts and all that stuff. I, and I've got to stop thinking this, but my first response is to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> For the crap that we've delivered over three oh, years? Just, I don't know, like, I don't know. That's probably imposter syndrome. I don't know. It's weird. I'll stop it's, doing that. It's your, it's your humble nature. I don't know about that, John. But um, so I'm in Queenstown, right? And it's it's been a bit of a drama. What can I say, John? Why? Uh, did you see my Instagram story on my uh, personal Insta? I'd be lying if I said yes. Yeah. Well, I don't want you to lie. So the day I got in here, so I got to this apartment and if those who have been to Queenstown, I'm staying at uh, Peppers next to the QT um, and I'm overlooking the big body of water and it's got a table in the apartment and the chairs, they weren't that great. So, you know, the first day I went and purchased a 27-inch a screen because I'm like, well, you know, if I'm going to be working here because I'm writing this book, a bit of a book retreat, I want a big screen. And then a couple of days went on and I started to get really sore left chest, like right in there. Can you see that? Yep. And um, really sore. And then it's gone back to my um, my left shoulder blade as well. And <laughs> so anyway, I've been in agony and it was from sitting down, like because I'm, I'm rarely <laughs> in the same space. Yeah. Like I'm always like I'll – 
because my office at home, I've got the right height desk, I've got a good ergonomic chair, the planets align, it's good height and all that. But I've come here and it's just been a debacle. So then I went up to the office store and yep. purchased a, and a chair. <laughs> So I've got this two hundred and nineteen dollar office chair. What are you gonna you gonna leave it there? That I'm gonna have to just leave here or give it away. It's a bonus for room two two five forever stays there in the future. Yeah, and then so I'm also like so I'm just and then I'm like I'm taking um ibuprofen and paracetamol together, it's not working and I'm trying to stretch and YouTubing everything and so oh, what is it? What's sorry. the diagnosis? Well, I went and then I'm like, oh, I've got to go to the physio. Like, this is ridiculous. And she said, and so I booked into the physio yesterday. And she's like, yeah, you've obviously, you know, clearly been sitting in the wrong spot for a long period of time. Like all my (laughs) muscles around my ribs and the back of my ribs and the front, I just haven't been used to being in that position. Mm. And they're in agony. So she did a workup on me and showed, and then I bought one of those foam rollers that I've been doing stretches, but- (laughs) I've been in agony for like over a week. <laughs> so, are you bringing the foam roller home? It's too big to fit in my suitcase, and I'm already <laughs> gonna. I'm gonna try and bring this LED Samsung Samsung panel home because <laughs> I've got bloody six hundred dollars worth of shat. So you've so you've bought a Samsung TV, you've bought a recliner chair, and you've got a foam roller. Yeah. Oh mate, I just need to move in here. So it's um. So I've, I need to. Um, oh, and I I also bought a keyboard and mouse in my suitcase. So I've got to. Um, I just don't want to go to the airport carrying a monitor and a foam roller. So I'll probably take the foam roller back and just give it to the physio for their gym room or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's just so bad. Oh, I just, you're a you know, person. Oh, Glennie James goes to uh, Queenstown Adventure Sport Capital and gets injured. <laughs> <laughs> do you think um, do you think society's giving it to you for staying in a posh apartment? Well, John, I need to be comfortable. Yes, you do. Well, clearly, <laughs> clearly, you're uncomfortable. <laughs> I am. I am. Mm. And um, the first week that I was here, Phil Thompson, who a lot of you have met and you know know, I told him to come over. So he worked yeah. from here for the first week. So he kept me company. But yeah, um, how is Phil? Yeah, it's going good. Yep. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely come back. I haven't had time to do a lot of sightseeing and all that because I've just been busy uh, doing this writing. But I just can't believe my luck. When when are you back? Uh, Sunday night. Well, I was only going to come for a week, but I've extended a week. Yep. And. Yeah, try and call Qantas everyone during a pandemic. You'll only have to wait 50 minutes on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I flew Qantas Qantas Link to Mildura and I I thought I was going to be changing the gears at one stage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it's been fun, everyone. And honestly, guys, if you are still listening to this dribble, come and hang out with us with this live tour. We are so pumped to, uh, to meet you and have a lot of fun with you. So I'm going to go and get some lunch. It's 2 p.m. now. It'll be a late lunch, Johnny, but... Um, if there's anyone that's a chiropractor listening, you might be become Glenn's permanent Cairo and PA. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's wild. 
It, ju- mm. it just actually, I was talking to the physio. I'm like, oh, I was looking on Google and I was doing these stretches because I thought it was like my pecs minor or something. She's like, no, nah, it's not that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, geez, it's like, it's the exact same with like our money stuff, how we just, we might do something online, yes. but you actually need to go and get a professional to give you their professional take. <laughs> yeah. And what did they say? Your pecs were minor? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, I'm going to go. I'll see you soon. All right. See, see ya. ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.